Jason Waller here, True Underdog Podcast and YouTube channel. Listen, make sure you subscribe today. You can go to iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can go to our YouTube channel, True Underdog, or you can visit trueunderdog.com and subscribe to all of it. Damn, damn, damn. True Underdog. Damn, damn, Unleash damn. the power Jason Waller here, True Underdog Podcast. Super, super excited to all the underdoggers out there. Today we have Stephen Scoggins. He's on the show. Stephen's a best-selling author, award-winning entrepreneur of multiple businesses with eight-figure revenues, a motivational speaker who's spoken to audiences of thousands and a creator of the proprietary life mastery framework named Transform You. I saw the you behind him here. He's well-respected, nationally sought-after business and life mastery thought leader. He challenges people to break through their obstacles. Coming from a broken home, years of struggle, didn't finish high school. He also appeared on NBC, CBS, Entrepreneur, Thrive Global, Grit Daily, and more. The best-selling author for The Journey Principles. Steven, how you doing, my man? Dude, what's going on, man? Love the energy, man. Hey, I'm trying. I'm, I'm excited. I found a, a real underdog here. Somebody <laughs> who had the, the odds stocked against them. That somebody that really came in and and really changed, you know, the mindset of people around him. Built several companies. So I'm excited to pick your brain and let the listeners tune into what you're doing. So look, you've built multiple businesses from the ground up. You've inspired thousands. I assume your success didn't happen overnight. So let's dive into your past. Right? You've been open about the obstacles you faced when you were young, and you once said you feel like you didn't even have a childhood. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the first thing that I remember my father saying before we actually got into the broken home environment was Scoggins don't get ahead, they get by. It was the first time I'd ever heard any kind of like real programming that I later discovered wasn't going to serve me very well. My father's situation with uh, income and whatnot, my mother's situation with uh, struggles, I don't want to call it disorders, but she, she had an abusive childhood that she came up through. My dad was an alcoholic. You know, lo and behold, by the time I was three years old, they were doing their own things in different parts of the country, being raised by a single grandmother. And I'll never forget this. At nine years old, my grandmother walks up to me, skinny and frail, if you will, looks me in the eye and says, I need you to step up. I'm nine years old. I've got a transformer in one hand and a GI Joe in the other. What I didn't know is that she had just gotten diagnosed with cancer. And she was getting ready to start, even in the 80s, essentially chemotherapy. And, you know, we come a long way, you know, in the, in the terms of science of what, you know, how you treat cancer even now. You know, so you can just imagine what it did to her body. She taught me how to pull up a chair up to the stove, start making macaroni and cheese and hot dogs and all kinds. Now, keep in mind, picture the nearest nine-year-old that's closest to you. Right. Maybe it's maybe it's your own kid. My son's 10. So I'm, I'm imagining right now my son's 10. So I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning that. Yeah. Yeah. And you can you can just think about the mentality like this shift. Right. You know, um, my mom came back. Um, she had a suicide attempt and I'm the one that found her uh, situation where I, I'm the one that called the paramedics at I think I was 10 and a half, maybe 11, you know, kind of thing. So life had always been kind of up and down. My father's financial situation. He had a business, lost a business, and was never really good with his money. You know, so by the time my grandmother did pass away around 11, 11, 12 years old, I went to work immediately in the construction trade, right? Started building houses with my dad and carrying studs for 25 cents an hour. And that's what actually when I met my first mentor, uh, the guy that literally changed my life. And, you know, I'm looking back, hindsight being 2020, he was really my father figure by the time it was all said and done. 
my dad is a great guy now. I mean, he's he's a fantastic grandfather, you know, but obviously the grandkids are like the do-overs, which is great. I mean, because that means you've learned something new, right? You're following along the way. It's crazy you say that. I have the say, I, I get that. I always say, I love my parents, but they're way better grandparents than they were parents. Oh, for sure. How old were your parents when, when you were born? Uh, I think that I think my mother was probably 23 or 24, father maybe 24, 25. I mean, they were still young, right? And the reality is, is most people, and this is this is important, especially if you're going to be an overachiever, an entrepreneur, stuff like that, you're gonna have to take a chance to look basically in the trunk. You need to understand what makes you do the things that you do, what makes you think the things that you think. And so much of mine was, you know, trying to overcome this fear of failure, this fear of not having enough, this fear of not being able to take the right steps forward, all came from those early conversations around my parents. I found out that I basically had been married and divorced once, and I had married one of my parents. You know what I'm saying? Like, as far as like personality style. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know? When you're trying to come up through this stuff, you know, I was spending a lot of time with my dad. My dad was horrible with his money. Steve Meyer was my first mentor, and I'll never forget this for as long as I live. One of the things that he first told me, he said, you have to be willing to do today what others won't, so you can have tomorrow what others don't. What he was trying to do in numerous conversations is he was trying to help me understand that the mindset that created him was very different than the mindset that created my father. It wasn't that my father was a bad guy. It wasn't that he was, he didn't mean well. He was working his ass off, dude. Like he was, he was 5 a.m., 8 p.m. every single day, coming home, coming home, coming home, getting up, coming home, doing all that. But the way in which he was conducting his day-to-day life was his, his by definition, his roadblock, right? I think there are three great questions of life that we have to answer, which are, who am I, why am I here, and what do I do about it? Well, my father never took those steps to understand that, but my first mentor, Steve Myrick, did. And as a result, those seeds were planted. They didn't show, they, they didn't bear any fruit for several years, um, about the age of 17, my father lost his business. We were evicted from our house. His vehicles were repossessed. And essentially, we were kind of, quote unquote, on the street. Well, Steve Meyer gave us a place to stay in an old beat up, roach infested trailer park that allowed us to kind of at least kind of get stuff going. We had to battle back from not having a car. I dropped out of high school to take care of my family, you know, to help my dad. He was working as hard as he could do, right? He was working as hard as he could go. And lo and behold, that was my life for, gosh, a number of years. And basically, it, Long story short, as Steve Meyer gave me a chance to start my first business, I made a bunch of money. I spent a bunch of money because I didn't know any better. No one ever trained me to use money or trained me to use intelligence or relational capital or anything like that. And lo and behold, after making a bunch of money, within a year's time frame, I was basically homeless. I was sleeping in friends' cars outside when I needed to be. And, you know, a lot of that was pride. And that's kind of like where the, I think, where the the underdog spirit really became a began to shape through. I'm like a lot of other people, drastically encouraged by Rocky. Right. It's your favorite, one of your favorite movies, right? I got knocked yep. down. It's time to get up. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I feel like we might be spirit brothers, man. I mean, <laughs> your, probably your childhood <laughs> is similar to mine. And, you know, your parents work hard. This is what you knew. You you worked and you helped pay bills. That's all you knew. You didn't get you didn't get time to be a high school kid or a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old. You didn't get to go and do the things that the other kids and your peers got to do. You had to you had to provide. You know, you had to build that work ethic which, you know, obviously built into what you've done now. That work ethic, that grind, that hardship, that not taking no for an answer and just Toughen it out, not quitting, not belly aching, not complaining, not sitting on your butt pointing fingers. But that 
work ethic and that hardship is really what developed to the next chapter of your life. So let's talk about that. Right after, you know, you were working for the few years and helping pay the bills with your parents, you became an entrepreneur and I believe you wrote a book. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So uh, the same guy that gave me the first shot, one of the things that happened in that transition was I walked off the job. Like he gave me a shot. I got into a toxic relationship, which I think a lot of people that have a tough upbringing do. They, they tend to associate themselves with people who don't have their best interest at heart repeatedly. And as a result, I ended up in that depressive state, suicidal, if you will, off and on for a little while. Well, during that time, I walked away from Mr. Meyer for almost a year, a year and some change. Led me to homelessness, the whole deal. Well, about a year and a half later, my father gets me back on the framing crew. I have a set of divine intervention that kind of happens in between, but I get back on the framing crew. I overhear these guys next door who took over for me. And essentially, so this is the construction industry, right? So this is, this is kind of the, what we're talking about. And the trade that I was doing was a siding, was, you know, vinyl siding, hardy siding. Nothing, it's not super sexy, right? But it, everybody loves the way it looks when it's on the house, right? So, you know, I'm doing that trade, I'm, but I went back to work with my dad doing framing. I go next door. I'm working on some framing stuff. I overhear the, the guys that are that basically took over for me. They're bad-mouthing Steve Myrick. They're saying he's not paying, and which Steve Myrick always paid. You know, these guys were struggling with their own addictions, of course, and, of course, they were blowing through their money. And back in the day, we used to have a draw schedule. So if you were 10% done on a house, you could draw out 10% of the money that that house was worth, and so on and so forth. Well, they were 70% drawn on a house that was 30% done, Right? I began walking away from the job site, walking over to where my dad was. I'm mad, right? I'm mad. I'm like, how can they do this to me? This guy is good as gold. Like he's, he's there. He can help, right? I'm going through all this kind of stuff. And then I had this real interesting epiphany, almost like a small, still voice that said, didn't you do the same thing? Hit me like a ton of bricks. I had been trying to basically stay away from Steve Mark from the entire time I got back on the job because I was embarrassed. I was shameful. I had guilt. I had all kinds of like emotional stuff from betraying the one person that actually paid attention to me and believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Well, he pulls up around the corner and something welled up inside of me, something on fire. And I walked up. I had the courage in that moment to walk up. He rolled his window down and he said, hey, well, how's your head now, boy? Because he's a good old Southern guy, right? I said, well, it's getting better. He said, well, what can I do you for? And I said, well, can I start again, right? You got these guys over next door. This is what's going on. They say they're not coming back Monday. Will you give me a second chance? And he laughed at me. He giggled. I said, you know, he just kind of laughed. He said, well, with what? You've got no money, no credit, no employees, no equipment, no truck, no vehicle. And I just got you. I I just let you back on the framing crew. And I said, if you'll give me a second chance, I'll figure all of it out before Monday. And he was stunned. He kind of like stood back like this and, hmm. He goes, I'll make a deal with you. If they're not here on my 9 a.m. on Monday morning, I'll let you finish that house that they're working on and then we can go from there. And I was like, okay, that's all I need. Rolled up his window. He started to jet off. My dad comes walking up. He's mad. Like, what the hell have you just done? Are you serious? Like, I just got you back on the crew and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you don't understand. This is something I've got to do. Like, this is, this is on me. Right. And I go through all that process. And, and as I'm kind of doing that, he finally just calms down, walks over back up to the beat up work van that Steve Mark had loaned him, opens the door, starts pulling tools out. Now, this was on a Friday afternoon where at two o'clock we used to put the tools in the truck to leave for you know, like an early weekend. I'm like, well, what are you doing? 
He says, well, do you remember when you were growing up as a kid? I'm like, well, yeah, vaguely. I mean, different parts of it. No, when you were, when you were working with me and your grandfather building houses, when you were carrying the studs and you were nailing stuff together, do you remember all that? Yeah. How about when we did the old Masonite siding, which was a, just an old, it's like cardboard kind of material, right? What, you know, what do, you, do you remember that? He's like, yeah, I remember that. He's like, well, what was the scaffolding made out of? It's like, well, wood. What were the pump jacks made out of? Wood. What were the ladders made out of? Wood. What were the walkboards made out of? Wood. All right. And you just go start pulling trash out of the trash piles we have scaffolding to build. First time in my life that my dad showed up. First time. So you motivated him and inspired him because he saw something in you that, that he wasn't doing, right? To take a chance to play to win and not play to not lose, right? Go ahead. This is good. Go ahead. Yeah, no worries. So I built the, we built the stuff. I took the only 200 bucks that I had to my name was actually $184.64. Rented a, a brake machine, which is just the tool we use for making trim in, in, the, in the siding business. And, you know, and then we put it together. And then at 9 a.m., actually, I was there at 6 sitting on the curb waiting. Steve would ride around the subdivision, right? About every 30 minutes, he'd come by and I'd say, can I go yet? And he's like, it's not nine o'clock yet. Can I go yet? It's not nine o'clock yet. Can I go yet? Not nine o'clock yet. 9.02, he rolls up. I said, well, can I go now? He said, well, what are you waiting for? Turned around, locked the stuff up. I went to work. Did my first four houses by myself. Slowly began building my business piece by piece with the equipment that I needed. Did all of it off of cash. Got myself out of debt, and I was about 70 grand in debt at the time for the stupidity for the years prior. That business now employs about 400 people and crossed three states in what's known as Custom Home Exteriors and became my flagship company of the six companies that I do own. So when someone tells me they don't have the stuff, they, I don't have the, I can't go get a loan. People won't give me money. I'm like, so what? I don't, I can't, I don't have the right people. So what? I, I can't do it. Why not? Like, I don't, I kind of have that no bones approach to it. No, I, I love it. And the listeners, that they, they need to really tune in right now because in the world we live in today, there's a lot of finger pointing, excuses, laziness, you know, blaming everybody else on what they have and what they don't have. And haters worried about what people have and not focusing on themselves. And, you know, to hear somebody that, had a bad childhood, which a lot of people do, but most of them don't do anything about it, that had the, the life and the obstacles stacked against them and gets out there, gets a second chance. That horse comes by, you jumped your ass on that horse, inspired your father who's never showed up for him to help you build that to make sure you had it done because you lit something in him that I think he needed to, you know, not, not, and look, there's nothing wrong. I, I call it the, the Dunkin' Donuts. Remember the commercials? <laughs> yeah. I gotta go do the donut. That's how my dad was. That's how my mom was. It's great that they're hard workers, but there's some of us out there and a lot of these listeners that are handcuffed and they're, they're here to do so much more, but they're scared or they find excuses. Like you just said, I don't have the money. I'm in debt. I don't have the tools. You just showed with nothing. You pulled trash out and built what you needed to build and then showed up to work and busted your ass and built that business one block, one step at a time. And now it's your flagship of, of several companies. That's the principle that people seem to forget is if you bet on yourself and you play to win, that you got a chance to win. But when you play it safe and you play to not lose, that's what our dads do. That's what most, you know, the, the world that we grow up in and you not finishing school or going to college, myself the same. A lot of listeners out there 
There's nothing wrong with going to college, but I've got four kids, 22, 17, 13, and 10. My 22-year-old did not go to college. That's okay. I'm a big believer of you get more on experience than you do school unless you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer and you need the education for that. That's my opinion. But the intimidation, the lack of confidence that the pressure that parents put on us of, well, you're going to go to school and you're going to get a good job and that's the goal. When we don't do that and our peers are doing that, that pressure and that insecurity kicks in that we're either like Rocky, you mentioned Rocky, either you stay your ass on the mat or you get up and you fight back and say, I've got something to prove, not to you guys, to me, and then you'll see what I'm capable of. I love that. I mean, that's a great story. So let's talk about a couple of your other businesses. So that morphed and, you know, do you still keep up with your mentor now? Are you still close with them? Yeah, so I was super close with him until 2003 when he passed away. He was, you know, he was in his 80s when the um, when we had a lot of those conversations, and uh, he never got to see all the fruit that his seed became. Like he never got to see me become an author, a speaker. He never got to see me even scale the company that he he gave me a second chance at. Right, you know. But one thing he did teach me is he he, he kind of taught me that one man's trash is another man's infrastructure. It's put something in my brain where it's like all right, well, the traditional method is this way. There's got to be another way. So my main sentence in myself that I'm always saying there is, is there has to be another way, right? Obstacles, when they pop up, are not something you necessarily have to go through. You can go under them. You can go over them. You can go around them, right? There's different ways to catapult yourself forward. And, and that ended up shaping a lot of different things and led me to other mentors along the way that have helped me kind of grow to the person that I am now right? Because one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in build a business, and, and guys, please hear this. The biggest mistake I ever made in building a business was not building myself, not growing myself, not trying to learn new things. Dude, it, was, it wasn't even like maybe four years ago, I started understanding financials. Like being able to look at them, read them, and see what they're actually saying. My EBITDA, like what is that? I just learned from? EBITDA a couple of years ago. <laughs> We're in the same book. I get yeah. it. But the, the third thing is, is you cannot grow a scalable company without learning that stuff along the way. When I first started my company, I was incredibly driven, incredibly passionate. Get out of my way. I'm going to make it happen. I don't know how, but it's going to work out kind of mentality. Well, that's great for the grit side. And you can keep that inside your heart to kind of propel you forward. But it's not great in leading other people. People don't want to follow a dictator. They want to follow somebody who inspires them. Someone who actually lays a vision out that they can follow to achieve their own goals, right? I had to learn that. Otherwise, I was the, the homeless high school dropout who had a multi-million dollar business who was literally in my closet going, I hope they can't find out I'm an imposter. Hope they don't find out, right? All that kind of stuff. Well, the way you get around that is really through a process that I call the seven levels of life mastery that I think helps people understand where they are on the journey and then what steps next. The first area is the awakening. It's like, hey, I know that what I'm doing today is not going to be enough to take me to where I want to be. I'm willing to do anything to change that, right? The next one's awareness. Most of us are complete. You and I talked about this early in the show, right? Not being totally aware of who we are, how we're shaped, how those things hold us back or propel us forward, right? Well, you got to get super clear on that kind of stuff. That's when the mentor shows up, which is the third step. That's when the mentor pops in and says, hey, look, I see something in you. It's intangible. Entrepreneurs know another entrepreneur when they see him. 
doesn't matter if they got a $100 million company or if they have a $1,000 company or if they just got lint in their pockets. Entrepreneurs recognize entrepreneurs because of grit, tenacity, and perseverance. A mentor sees that and says, I can do something with you. I can help shape you. Well, after that, that mentor is going to teach you a new way, right? Level four, implementation. Implement what you're learning. Implement what they're teaching. Making sure you're following that progress. Level five, maturity. Now you're doing it so well that you can actually begin to consider teaching it and applying it so well that it's muscle memory. It's happening. And that's when you get emergence. That's when a million-dollar business all of a sudden has the potential to be a $10 million business or a $10 million business has the potential to be a $100 million business. It's because you finally are following a process. And emergence makes mastery possible, right? The reason you and I are able to own successful businesses whether one or many, it doesn't matter, is because we worked our butts off to a level of mastery that inspired others to follow us and trust us with our decisions who are going to call us out when we're acting like doofuses because we're, we, we're going we're gonna to make stupid decisions, right? Force us to grow. As we grow, our organization grows. As our passions increase for the servants around us, our reputation within our individual markets increase, within our teams increase. All of a sudden, people want to follow you. And when people want to follow you, it's not you pulling behind everything. It's not you pushing it, right? You've got, was it Clydesdales? I think it's one horse pulls 36,000 pounds. Two horses pulls like triple the amount. That's the difference of understanding where you are in a process and actually shaping that in such a way that allows you to propel yourself forward. That's the process that Steve Mark put in my heart when he said, you have to be willing to do today what others won't so you can have tomorrow what others don't. You simply have to put yourself in the right place at the right time and all that starts in your head. As long as you keep telling yourself, I don't, I don't, what if, I don't, all this kind of crap, you are not going to be able to see the forest for the trees. The only thing that ever limits your potential, the only thing will always be you. Right. I agree. That's great. Yeah, Stephen, let me ask you this. You're open about your spiritual faith and how it essentially turned your life around in a formative years. In your book, Journey Principles, you mentioned that you were freed from the bondage of fear, depression. And that begins with, by accepting God's grace and mercy. What role do spiritually and religion play in your career as a motivational speaker and coach? Well, so I think there's, um, so it's huge for me. My faith is huge for me. My, my faith has led the way. My faith is why I am where I am today. I would not have had the courage to get from where I was to where I'm at today without it. At the same time, I try to always share in such a way that recognizes that everybody's on their own journey and everybody's on their own path, right? But essentially, at the moment in which I was a professing atheist for almost five years, I was doing all, doing all the wrong places I shouldn't have been, doing all the wrong things I shouldn't have been doing, like kind of going through that whole scenario that... I began to think, well, if I had such a traumatic childhood, right, if God was really real, then my life wouldn't be like this. And then I actually uh, discovered my faith along the way and began, it's funny, I, um, I got, my life got so low that I had to clean a litter box for 50 bucks for my little brother. He was living in my, my mobile home that I bought two years earlier. He had to move in and take over the payments, which were $276.13 a month because I couldn't pay my own bills. So there's a lot of like, uh, let's just say the, the big brother never wants the little brother to have to support him kind of thing, right? So I, I had the situation. He offers me 50 bucks to go clean this litter box. 
I walk in the door. I can smell the ammonia from the front door. Litter box is in the uh, master bathroom in the in the left rear of the trailer. Open the doors, go in there, and you know how litter boxes normally people when they have them, you know they have this little container that kind of that the cats kind of rub their feet off of as they walk out or whatever. Well, rather than empty the litter box, apparently they just kept pouring sand on top of it. So it looked like this massive, like, uh, gosh, what do you want to call it? Uh, ice cream cone, for lack of a better word, with Tootsie Rolls all over it, which is disgusting. Um, I walked in with a Walmart shopping bag. I had walked out of there, went back to the kitchen, got a full-fledged trash bag, and uh, started shoveling poop, right? Started shoveling it. And the more and more I was doing that, the more and more I was getting disgusted, not just with, like, what I was doing, but where I was at in my life. Like, I was, I was getting so mad at the hopelessness that had been placated in my spirit that I was, I, it's hard for me to even articulate the words, but I was in this place of, there's got to be something more. I don't know what it is. I've got to find it. There's got to be some way. And I'm still going. I'm still going at it. Well, sure enough, I'm going at it so hard, so fast, that the scooper gets into the, we'll call it a, a pee pool, right? It, it hardens like a rock, snaps the handle off. I throw the handle down. Now I'm even more mad, right? I'm like, oh, I need this, you know, I need 50 bucks. I mean, this, the stuff we do when we put ourselves in desperation mode is ridiculous. Put my thumb in the back of the scooper, started digging again, getting more and more disgusted, speeding up, corner of the scooper catches the freaking corner of the bag. Rips a three-foot hole in a trash bag. Everything that I put in there was all over the place. Finally threw the handle down. I began yelling at the top of my lungs. Every obscenity you can possibly think of. In fact, we talked about Rocky a little bit earlier. I felt like I was throwing every like verbal assault, right? Elbows and knees and kicks and whatever. And I, I, I uttered these words and it radically changed my life because I was not expecting what happened to happen. And I'm yelling at the ceiling. If you're so blankety blank real, why don't you blankety blank show yourself? Blah, 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 right? Now, I don't know if everybody else is going to have an experience like I had. But something took my legs out from money and I was pinned to the floor with my knees touching the ground. And I heard this quiet whisper in my heart. I just heard that same whisper on the bridge that I almost jumped from two weeks earlier. And it said, are you ready to surrender? If you'll surrender, I'll bless you. Now keep in mind, I'm a hardcore atheist. I'm, I'm a, I was the big bang theory out the wazoo and the Darwin this and the Darwin that and the whatever this and the whatever that. Hardcore, right? All of that was based on my pain. I didn't realize that my pain was actually creating purpose inside of me. And most people don't understand that. They see pain at face value and they pursue pain at face value. And as a result, they never truly walk in their purpose. You see, I discovered one of the greatest purposes in life you'll ever have is serving the person you used to be. And when people will step up and serve the person they used to be, all of a sudden the suffering that they're going through is lightened. And you, if you take that and you multiply that times generations behind that person, all of a sudden an entire lineage or entire family tree is healed over time. Well, what do you do when you're pinned to the floor by an unknown force you can't fully explain? You surrender. Absolutely. I surrendered and it felt like somebody had taken a vat of hot oil and poured it from the top of my head all the way down to the bottoms of my feet and onto the floor. I got up. I'll never forget this because it was like when I was in that, when I was in that stage, it was almost like I was always walking around with, sun, with dark sunglasses on. Like everything that I viewed in life had like a hint of darkness to it. 
That's how I walked into that trailer. I walked out looking out this little rectangle window, if you will, that they have in bathrooms and, and trailers. And there's a nice pine tree just kind of flowing in the wind, blue skies. And uh, I wasn't going to mention this earlier because not everybody obviously appreciates my faith or appreciates my journey, but it's my journey. It's my, it's where I am. It's where I, but it was the following Friday that I started the company out of the trash piles. So this God that I, that I believe in this, this faith level that I have, I think I'm a walking, talking miracle. And the fact that my companies are where they are today is a direct correlation to that surrendering in that moment. If you don't surrender your pain, it can never be used for your purpose. Your pain cannot be something that you anchor onto. Yes, mommy and daddy made ahead of struggles, but you've got to ask yourself, who taught them to be parents? What have they been? What have they been through? That's when you can show them grace. That's when you free yourself, and that's when you move forward. If you're an underdog, right, which is what this channel is all about, this is the foremost place that you can get content to help you overcome that underdog story, not just entrepreneurship, not just life, but grit, tenacity, all that kind of stuff. If this is that place, which I know it is, then the first thing you got to understand is that stuff can add to your value with passion and purpose, but you can't hang on to it so long that it prevents you from excelling and catapulting yourself to your future. Big gems, dude. Steven, this is some good stuff. I had chill bumps when you were telling the story. Super excited. And I appreciate you sharing your faith with the listeners out there because I think it's important that people understand what drives us, what inspires us. And everybody is different, but I get excited to hear a story like that where everything just seems like it's it's done. And then you get the sign and you get the whisper and you just change and you propel it. Now you share things like that. You inspire other people. You share that wisdom. You know, you're enrolling people to believe and see that things can happen if they believe it. You know, you kept saying that earlier. And I think that if people, whatever it is, they put their faith in themselves and whether it be God, whatever it is, they have to think more positive and not negative in life. And I think that, you know, you're a testament to that right there. So I appreciate you sharing that story. That was exciting stuff. How can the folks reach out to you and follow you? Where can they find you at? Yeah, so I spend a lot of time on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram for social. So just Google my name, I'll pop up. And then uh, you can always visit us at uh, stevenscoggins.com. Love, love to connect with all the listeners and, and hopefully add some value to them. Dude, I love what you're doing. Like we've, we, we've needed your heart, your message, your message, your mission, man, this world needs more and more of it. And I, I just love what you're doing. Thanks for having me on my friend. No, thank you. I love what you're doing as well. I'm excited to come on your show and share some of my story. It's going to be similar, but I, I am jacked and I love that we can give back to people. And I hope the, the underdogs out there, listen, whether you're going through something tough in life or you're going through something tough in a marriage or a relationship or being a father or being a kid or in business or a job or school, you know, listen to what Stephen said. You know, you can get through these things. You got to put yourself, you don't limit yourself in your mind. You got to put positive thinking forward, have faith and really grind. It's hard work. It's tenacity. It's not quitting on yourself. It's the Rocky Balboa story. I mean, we got to get Rocky on the podcast. That's what we got to do. That's what we got to do. <laughs> That's what we got to do. Well, Stephen, thank you very much for coming on to the show. That's a wrap here on True Underdog. Bam! And that concludes another episode here on True Underdog. If you're interested in hearing more, make sure you subscribe at iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the YouTube channel. You can always visit trueunderdog.com. Subscribe to all of them. Make sure you check out our newest episodes coming out on Mondays and Thursdays. True Underdog, baby. Bam. 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 True Underdog.
Underdog. Damn. Damn. Underdog.